Welcome to the Aging Project podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm your host, Shelley Craft. As I've got older, I've come to realise we all need advice when it comes to aging well. So for season one of the show, I've pulled together the best possible support team for us. Doctors, researchers, coaches and creatives. Nothing is off limits. Food and nutrition, movement and mobility, menopause and gut health finding a sense of meaning. I want to cover it all. I believe with the Aging Project community banded together, our choices will be infinitely better, more informed, more considered. So if like me, you believe aging well starts now, then let's get going and start learning from some of the best. Welcome to today's episode. But it's very common for women, especially in their 40s, for things to start breaking down or their bodies are not functioning as well. So as you pointed out, they start feeling a little bit tired, they're starting to put on weight, um, they're getting more bloated and puffy, they don't have the same energy that they used to, um, their mental sh you know, sharpness is down. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty common. Welcome to episode 12, The Secrets of Aging Well with Dr. Frank Lipman. This is the last interview of season one, although I'm looking forward to jumping in next week to share my own personal journey of what I've learned in episode 13. And like you, it's been a lot, so please stay tuned for that. We really have covered some ground and met some amazing people in season one, and today's interview does a wonderful job of bringing all of those conversations together. Dr. Lipman reinforces many of the topics we've touched on, and he also introduces a few others. Dr. Lipman is a world-renowned authority on aging well, so we are thrilled to share today's conversation. Like I often say, aging, everybody's doing it, but let's do it really bloody well, together. If you listen to today's chat, you'll definitely be on the right path, so let's dive in and get chatting to the wonderful Dr. Frank Lipman. We all know that person who is aging well. You know the type. They look 10 years younger and have the glowing vitality of a 30-year-old. You've probably spotted them doing the perfect headstand at your yoga class. And most of us know the polar opposite to that person, someone who looks 10 years older, always seems tired, perhaps a little bored with life. The fact that you're here listening to this podcast tells me that you want to age well, like me. You want to look great, feel well, be energetic, calm, happy, strong, fulfilled. <laughs> Are we asking too much? To kick off this podcast, I am thrilled to welcome the original and world-renowned wellness guru, Dr. Frank Lipman. Dr. Lipman has practiced what he calls good medicine for over 30 years in New York at the 1111 Wellness Center. He is also the Chief Medical Officer at The Well in New York. Frank is the author of five best-selling books, including The New Rules to Aging Well. Let me just read you a short paragraph from the first chapter of Dr. Lipman's book. He says, if you're achy, tired, gaining weight, not sleeping, well, pay attention. These are warning signs, signals from your body to get your shit together while you still can. This is not a drill. If you want your body to run well as you age, you can't be cavalier anymore about how you treat it. Well, you have our attention, Dr. Lipman. Is there such a thing as a typical 40-year-old woman? And, and what does that look like in your book? Um, yeah, if you, I hate saying it, but yeah, the, 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 typical is probably not the right word, but it's very common for women, especially in their 40s, for 
things to start breaking down or their bodies are not functioning as well. So as you pointed out, they start feeling a little bit tired. They're starting to put on weight. Um, they're getting more bloated and puffy. They don't have the same energy that they used to. Um, their mental sh you know, sharpness is down. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty common um, in America anyway, I would assume in Australia too. Yes, all of those things <laughs> sound very, very common. I would have just put that down to, oh, well, I'm getting old or well, perhaps I've well, been drinking nonsense. a little bit too yeah. much. Well, that, that's yeah, in Australia, probably that's true. But uh, yeah, that's not the case that that's because you're getting old. You know, 40 is actually pretty young. I mean, I'm, I'm much, much older than that. But um, unfortunately, most women, most people put it down to aging. When the functioning of their systems or their organ system starts decreasing um, because of poor lifestyle habits, usually, whether it's drinking or eating too much sugar, or not getting enough sleep, or not dealing with their stress, or not exercising, you know, you know, your your body doesn't function as well. But there are many tangible changes that you can make, which can make a huge difference. Well, let's start with that, because I love the idea of your health span being very, very different to your lifespan. And we'd love to all just bounce into our graves, basically, have wonderful health right up until the point, rather than that deterioration over decades that perhaps we've seen in, in generations previous to us. So how do we get that ultimate health span? Where, where should we start? Well, I usually start with diet because it's, you know, in a way the hardest, but in many ways the easiest. It's so tangible and you get quite quick results. I think as we get older, and especially women around perimenopause, our capacity to metabolize carbohydrates decreases. Um, and that's probably made worse by stress and, and, and maybe not sleeping as well too. So I usually start putting women on lower carbohydrate diet. I mean, everyone's a little bit different and we also now do genetic testing and we got to see what diets people are on. But for the most part, we tend to take out the junk. And, and a lot of the times the junk is sugar, refined carbs, processed foods, junk foods. You know, I know when I was in Australia, um, the food actually wasn't as bad as it is here, but that was a long time ago. That was um, probably 20-odd years ago. Um, I'd, I'd love to think we'd grown in both. Well, I know we've grown in both ways there. There's obviously amazing access to beautiful produce and organics. But again, yes, that fast food and, and anything that's quick and easy yeah. has certainly increased as well. So it's about making those those right choices. Yeah, and I think uh, as we get older, we can't mess around with our bodies anymore. You know, you just, you've got to make that choice. You can abuse yourself. You can drink more than your body can tolerate. You can eat more sugar than your body's going to tolerate, but you feel it. So, you know, when, when we're in our 20s and our 30s, we generally can tolerate all of that. And we don't, you know, we just, you know, just, and especially women who don't put on weight when they eat junk. I mean, they actually have the hardest time when they get to their 40s. Women who actually have put on weight when they eat junk when <clears throat> they're younger actually have it a bit easier because they, they know they have to curb certain things in their diet. But women who don't have that problem, which is not uncommon, actually have a harder time in their 40s because because they haven't put on weight, they don't realize that the food they're eating is affecting their metabolism negatively. So 
Yeah, the first place I start is with diet. I mean, obviously everyone's different. If someone's having major stress issues or sleep issues, we'll deal with that because ultimately you've got to deal with all the factors that are affecting your health. But I usually start with diet and I usually start with cutting down on the sugars. And then, of course, I know you're a big one for, for fasting in all different ways, whether it's um, time-restricted, intermittent. Uh, obviously, the 5 yeah. and 2 was very popular here for a long time. Can you explain a little bit more about that fasting process and that it's not really starving yourself, it's just reducing the time in which you eat? Exactly. So, so women, you know, I, I always um, divide sort of this this whole ageing um, or our, our years up into pre-40 and after 40. I think before 40 or in your 30s, I, I often don't recommend fasting for women because I think it affects, it can, anyway, it doesn't always, because that's not true. I've, I've actually done intermittent fasting with a number of younger women. But as a general rule, women under 40, I don't recommend fasting for as often. Once women get into their 40s, especially in their mid-40s and above, as with men, even younger, I find fasting or restricting the time period when you eat into a much shorter span um, has incredible you know, beneficial effects on the body. Um, and, and we know now why, because um, when you fast or when you don't put any calories into your body for 14 hours or over, it triggers a mechanism called autophagy, which is a self-cleansing mechanism in the body. So it's a mechanism that decreases as you age or doesn't work as effectively as you age. You know, if for instance, one of the cells, the mitochondria, which are your energy powerhouses, um, stop work, the numbers decrease and their functioning decrease as we get a little bit older. And what autophagy does, and there's even a concept called mitophagy, the cleansing of the mitochondria. Um, but this mechanism of self-cleaning actually cleans up these the debris and this crap in your cells and um, is actually very good, f you know, it's very good for the aging process. It also helps with sugar, it helps with weight loss, helps with brain clarity, it helps with a whole host of things. But it's probably one of the easiest things one can do once we get into our 40s and mid-40s, and women as well. So I, I've, I yes, I, I do it almost every day. I recommend it to almost all of my patients. And I do find the, the intermittent fasting much more, or, or most people find it much easier to do, or it's more accessible than, you know, longer periods of fasting. Because all it really means is eating dinner a little bit earlier and breakfast a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't, as you say, it doesn't really mean cutting anything out. It's just shortening that time in which you do eat. Um, and obviously, if you're eating a lot more, more greens and less carbs, then um, exactly. hopefully that is like the magic, uh, <laughs> the magic quota. Well, it often is. I mean, often people just do that and actually feel a huge difference. You know, I think women around perimenopause become, you know, it's a little bit trickier because progesterone sometimes drops, which may be related to stress. So sometimes you need to use herbs or sometimes even by, I use bioidentical progesterone sometimes. All depends. Everyone's different. But often just the diet and intermittent fasting can make enough of a difference 
for 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 women to feel so much better yeah obviously weight loss is um is a part of that but that's not yeah. really what fasting is about is it it's about cleaning up that system and and just letting your body work better exactly so weight loss to me is always just a pleasant side effect i i, <laughs> I very rarely recommend things for weight loss per se to me you know for me it's all about how do we improve the functioning of the body how do you get someone to feel better and improve their metabolism, etc.? Weight loss is a side effect of that. So I don't necessarily do anything to to just for weight loss. But weight loss is usually a nice side effect of what I recommend. Yeah. So fasting is obviously one way that we can kickstart uh, getting our bodies all cleaned up and better. What about exercise? Obviously, it's a huge sure. part um, of again, feeling good and, and aging sure. well. Why is that? Why does exercise make us feel so good? Right. So exercise is probably the, you know, up there with fasting and um, and cutting back on sugar. Because uh, once again, the mechanisms that in the body that exercise triggers are excellent for aging, whether it's the brain, the heart or, or aging in general. So I think, um, you know, what I do encourage when, because, you know, I think exercise is essential for anyone who wants to age well, but um, I encourage people to do either intermittent, um, you know, high intermittent uh, training. So when you do exercise, it's important to have little bursts of energy or bursts of, of, of what we call stressing the body out. There's a concept called hormesis which means a little bit of stress. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So the concept of hormesis is these little stresses in our body actually trigger autophagy we talked about and other healthy mechanisms in the body. Fasting is is trigger is, is a hormetic um, stress on the body. Uh, pushing your body for little spurts are hormetic stresses. Going from hot to cold or saunas are hormetic stresses. Any little stress on your body is good. Now, chronic stress is a whole nother story, but these little stresses, and especially like when you're exercising, is, is actually very good for the body. Um, now, if you over-exercise, that's not a good thing for the body. And I, I actually find a lot of women um, in Manhattan anyway, a lot of patients I see, push themselves too much. They're mm -hmm. so driven. They over-exercise, and that makes them even more exhausted. So you've got to You've got to be smart about it. You definitely should exercise, but pushing yourself um, to the extent that you actually get tired after you exercise is not a good thing for your body. And another aspect of the genetic test I do is that actually the genes that tell you whether you need more time to recover or not and how your genes respond to exercise. So we're getting to a place in medicine where we can really refine our treatments. Mm -hmm. So you think HIIT training is great. What about your yogas and your Pilates? They're obviously very, very popular and for good reason these days, but they probably don't have that stress on your body that you're talking about as far as the, the impact or that, that high energy, high cardio. Um, well, yoga can. I mean, I, I used to do a lot of yoga until I broke my wrist when I came off my oh, bike. No. <laughs> but but, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of yoga. I mean, it saved me for many, many years. So you know, HIIT training or, you know, aerobic training is one aspect of exercise. I think, to me, yoga is moving meditation. So you're learning to quiet your mind, but you're also 
you're making yourself more flexible and stretching your your soft tissue, which is very important. As we get older, we tend to get you know tighter and 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 more disabled as such. So I think yoga, if you can do yoga, it's it's fantastic. I mean, I think it's fantastic. And and as we get older, probably not in our forties, but as we get fifties and sixties, maybe I'm there, um, and you start losing muscle mass then weight training and strength training also becomes more and more important. So I think adjusting your exercise to your age and your lifestyle um, and what's going on with your body is is very important. So I'm, I'm, I just think exercise in general is important and probably not wise just to do aerobic. And just as importantly is the recovery, uh, where that, sure. whether that be massage or stretching. Um, the fascia was something that exactly. I've learned about recently. Um, can you explain a little bit more about the fascia and what it does and what we need to do to make it nice and stretchy and flexible? Yeah, so, you know, most people, when they think of the musculoskeletal system, they think of bones and muscles for the most part, but it's that fascia that that connective tissue which holds all of it together. Uh, you know, when you cut open a chicken, you see that thin white um, layer that's between mm-hmm. between a lot of the muscles, and that's the fascia. So the, the fascia connects you from head to toe. And uh, you, you, what, what often happens with injuries or poor posture or sitting at a desk a long time, not only can the muscles shorten, but the fascia tightens as well. And if you don't loosen that fascia, it can become a problem because if you get a tight area one place, your body compensates. That's the way our body works. If you have a tight, let's say you injure your ankle, um, or let's say yeah, let's say you injure your ankle and you don't heal it properly, and that fascia tightens there, your body compensates. So it puts more pressure on, let's say, your hip muscles, or if your hip muscles are tight, then your back muscles. So you know, it, it becomes a problem. So releasing your fascia is probably also one of the most important things you can do. And that's why foam rollers are so important. You know, it's great to go for massage and Pilates and yoga, which is, you know, all wonderful. But, you know, you can do a, a lot of self-massage with a, a foam roller. So I'm a huge fan of, you know, I have, a foam, I have foam rollers everywhere. And you basically just roll on that, roll yourself out. So that makes the fascia just um, expand, extend and, and lengthen. Yeah, it, it sort of releases the tightening of the fascia. So when you release the tightening of the fascia, it frees up the muscles to, to, to function better, to work better. So you don't get tight muscles. So often you need to release that fascia to lengthen those muscles. And that's why yoga is is so wonderful because that can help. And acu- you know, I've been doing acupuncture for so long. Acupuncture and deep tissue work is so helpful because those are two things that really get into the fascia and release it. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you feel good, doesn't it? And that's one of the exactly. things that obviously stops us from, A, um, eating better, exercising, all of those things that are good for us, is that at first it just hurts. It hurts your mind. It sure. hurts your body. Um, so it's that slow progression and working back into some sort of exercise or perhaps for those women out there that are those crazy uh, motivated exercises, just perhaps pulling it back a little bit. Yeah, and the, the, the important thing about fascia is when you injure yourself, it's really important to get that injury treated as soon as possible because if you've got a tight hip from 
from hurting or whatever if you're running for instance and you get a tight hip if you don't treat that tight fascia um, your body's going to compensate and you'll put more pressure let's say on wherever it is on your other side on your back and, and then your body starts compensating and you start getting tight areas all over and after a while you just become more and more disabled and then you can't exercise so I think you know, it behooves all of us when we get injured to just go get it treated as soon as you can with some deep tissue work or some type of body work so we free up that, that soft tissue. Because in, in Western medicine, we don't take the soft tissue seriously enough. You know, you'll go for an x-ray and the x-ray is normal and some will say, oh, it's just it's a sprain. There's nothing you can do. Well, there's a lot you can do. So, you know, I'm a big... Uh, fan of you know good and actually australian physical therapists are particularly the ones here anyway i think the australian physical therapists are trained really well they do a lot of deep tissue work and manual work which is unusual in america they tend not to get trained that way so the australian physical therapists that i've come across in america are pretty good because they train to do uh, deep tissue work and manual work so that recovery is is so important. That comes down to mindset as well, doesn't it? Giving our minds a chance to recover or rest. I know you're a big advocate for sleep and that's what made me possibly your biggest fan. I love sleeping and that is really good for us. So how are you enjoying the ageing project so far? You know this is our first series of the podcast and if there is anything that you would like to hear or talk about, perhaps for series two, we would love to hear from you. So reach out at The Ageing Project. We are here for you, we are a community and we cannot wait to connect. That is at The Ageing Project. Uh, Yeah, it's not good, it's essential for us. So, you know, we talk about diet we talk about exercise sleep is right up there you know sleep is often pushed into a sort of a you know a lesser place for our health because so many people feel that it's a passive time and i just don't have time for sleep i've got so much else i have to do uh you know what's important to realize is sleep is 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 not a passive time at all it's you know a lot of um there's a lot of activity going on in your body while you're sleeping, including the similar concept of autophagy. There's a, for instance, there's a system in our brain called the glymphatic system. And that's a system that's also a cleanup. It's sort of a cleanup crew. It's like a recycling and cleanup crew. And it only works if you're sleeping. So if you're not sleeping, your body's not clearing all that excess, those neurochemicals and molecules that are made you know during mind activity you know during the day and they build up in the brain and if you don't clear them while you sleep over time that can cause all sorts of problems including alzheimer's disease so sleeping you know is is when your body repairs and recovers it helps you know with hormonal function it helps also it helps your microbiome which is an interesting thing so sleep is is um yes unfortunately underrated and probably much more important than most people not probably is much more important than most people realize so we need to eat less as we get older but do we need to sleep more 
as we get older. I know our, our sleep patterns do become and whether that's just, um, as you say, having kids and used to being up every night uh, when they're babies, we seem to stay in that pattern. What is a good amount of sleep for a, a middle-aged person? Yeah, I, yeah, it's an interesting question. Do we need to sleep more? I, unfortunately, what happens as you get older, once you, especially once you get into your 60s, you tend to sleep less so you need to work harder so i don't think you need to sleep less you may not need to sleep more but you need to really pay more attention to your sleep because it's harder to get that good sleep that you got in your 40s um so you know seven to nine hours is sort of pretty standard of what i recommend what most people recommend um but it's not that you need more sleep but you need to probably pay more attention to your sleep what I do see in women in their 40s, mid-40s, going into perimenopause as their progesterone levels start dropping, they start having more and more sleep issues, which are often hormonal-related, and that's often related to the progesterone <clears throat> dropping. So it becomes sleep often becomes an issue for women in their 40s and sort of late 40s as they start going into perimenopause. I mean, I, I do see that a lot. So... Um, you know, if you're not getting enough sleep and, you know, diet and, and exercise and supplements, or whatever you're doing are not helping, um, then a little bit of progesterone, bioidentical, I'm a big fan of bioidentical progesterone, can be very helpful. I mean, I, I use it quite a lot in my perimenopausal women, especially when they start having sleep issues, because that you know, that particular age group is often related to dropping progesterone. I think we sometimes call it mummy's little helper, but that's usually in a glass. Uh, right. <laughs> well, mummy's little helper in a glass will help you fall asleep, but it'll affect your sleep negatively. So that's, you know, a lot of people resort to alcohol to help them fall asleep, which it will do. But, you know, the nature of alcohol and how your body metabolizes it almost always means you'll wake up and have problems sleeping later. So one of the worst things you can do for sleep long term is using alcohol to fall asleep. So thanks. Very good. So thanks for bringing that up. Yes. Well, look, I think it's. Um, I I am proud to say I am seven weeks without a drink, which is good. big for me. I good. know a lot of people good do it often, you. but. I'm I'm on the road and um and I was I was certainly using it as just a way to in inverted commas take the edge off at night and it wasn't yeah. excessive um, by any means but yes you'd get that great deep sleep for the first hour or two possibly yeah. but then you're sort of twitchy and up all night so exactly. no not not the best way to go about it rather use CBD or CBD and THC I mean I'm a big fan of CBD I don't know what the story is in Australia but. <clears throat> CBD and THC actually both are actually legal in in a lot of states now. So, um, but I'm a much bigger fan of that than alcohol. If you want to, if you need something to chill out. Yes. Well, perhaps once we get all these other things organised, then that stress in our bodies will be coming down anyway, and we and we won't need uh, too much help at all. But you did mention the microbiome, and we've learned a little bit about this. Um, this is obviously your gut health, and messages from your gut to the rest of your body is a lot more powerful, as we know now, than from your mind uh, through your body. Can you explain a little bit about the microbiome? Sure. So the microbiome is this collection of all these bacteria in you and the gut microbiome is a collection of all the bacteria in your gut you have a vaginal microbiome you get a microbiome in your armpits in your mouth on your skin 
Um, but the gut microbiome we know now is incredibly important for our health. For instance, all the neurochemicals made in your brain are also made in your gut. In fact, 70% of your serotonin, the happy chemical, is actually made in your gut, not your brain. And that's why you know they call the gut the second brain. So um, what's going on in your gut can actually affect your moods, um, can, you know, if cause anxiety, depression, um, and actually can affect all aspects of your health. And that's because um, not only is um, it called the second brain, but the lining of the gut wall is extremely, extremely thin. And it's your sort of protective layer to the outside world. And when that gets damaged, and you can have microscopic damage when your microbiome is off, because part of what the functions of those good, you know, because most of the bacteria in your gut, sorry, I didn't mention that, are actually good for you. You know, we think of bacteria as being bad for you, but actually by far the majority, almost all of them are actually good for you. And apart from helping you digest and absorb food, um, they actually help protect the lining of your gut. And when that microbiome becomes imbalanced and there's less protection of the gut wall, uh, we get what we call leaky gut, which means the metabolites of those bacteria or the breakdown products of food, which should stay in the gut, actually leak through these microscopic holes in the, in the gut wall, go into your bloodstream and can cause all sorts of problems from brain fog to, uh, you know, skin problems to joint problems to anxiety, depression, autoimmune problems, all sorts of problems. So um, the functioning of your microbiome uh, or one of the functions of your microbiome to protect the lining of your gut wall is key to your health. And how can we clean that up? How do we, um, is it again, is it a diet related thing that we can make our guts a healthier place to be? Uh, yes, part of it is diet because um, eating crap and junk food and sugar and starchy foods is, are going to affect your microbiome negatively. Taking medic certain medications have a huge effect on the microbiome. Recurrent courses of antibiotics are probably one of the commonest cause of problems I see in people with all sorts of health problems because recurrent antibiotics screw up the balance of the microbiome. You get overgrowth of what we want to call bad bugs, and that you know consequently consequently causes all sorts of health problems. So, taking lots of antibiotics, even when you're younger, can affect you when you're older. Um, and my generation of doctors, unfortunately, handed out antibiotics too liberally, and we've caused major problems in this next generation. But other drugs can do it as well. Um, proton pump inhibitors like uh, Nexium, and I don't know what they're called in, in, in Australia. Um, uh, Omeprazole is, is, is Nexium. Is, but all those type of drugs which inhibit the production of your body's own acid also negatively affect the microbiome. You know, and then taking anti-inflammatories for long periods of time can affect the lining of the gut. So many drugs can actually affect your microbiome, apart from the diet. Um, the birth control pill can affect your microbiome negatively. So, you know, we're now finding out that the microbiome can even affect whether you lose or gain weight. Um, there's just a study, I mean, I see it clinically all the time. When people's microbiomes are off, they, especially women, they have a harder time losing weight. And you help correct 
the balance in the microbiome and you know they start losing weight and there was actually a study that just came out actually um, saying that too. So we have to get that all sorted out. I know that an outlook on life is also something that can affect all our systems in all our ways, whether it be um, obviously mental health being a big one, but just having a, a brighter outlook on life can sometimes help us live that little bit longer. Yeah, I mean, I think where your head's at is probably also, you know, every time you mention something, I say how important it is. But yeah, I think is, you know, how you age is determined, you know, partly or, or a lot of it is is in your head you know having a good attitude being able to laugh at things um, is really essential for for how well you age so um, and it's not only how you view life I think it's the community you know isolation or um, loneliness is has you know negative effects on how we age so Having a community, whether it's your family and, and lots of friends or just a community in general, I think is very helpful. I think being grateful for what you have, being kind to others and to yourself and to the earth, all of these aspects, you know, having a purpose in life, all of these, you know, these intangibles, as I call them, um, I think, have a huge effect on how well we age. So there's lots of changes that we can make in our everyday just to give us that little bit, uh, obviously, better health, uh, the possibility of a longer life, but is a lot of it genetic and we really don't have much control over that? No, not at all. Yeah, there are, long, there are genes, there are, in, in particular, there are actually you know, 20 or so longevity genes, but how those genes are expressed is determined by how you live your life. So um, everything we've been talking about, your diet, how you sleep, how you eat, um, having purpose in life, all these aspects of lifestyle that we've talked about, um, we haven't talked about supplements, but all of those, including the supplements, actually affect the longevity genes. And it's important to, to realize you can be bought, a lot of the genes that we are talking about can be either upregulated or downregulated. So it's the environment that you put the genes in that is going to affect how they express themselves. So if you put your genes in an environment full of sugar and stress and lack of sleep, sure, your genes are not going to work for you. Um, but on the other hand, if you you know eat well you, and you fast and everything we talked about, you can actually affect your genes in a positive way. In fact. Um, almost everything we've talked about from fasting to low sugar to exercise to sleep to saunas or temperature extremes all affect our longevity genes. And now there are actually a couple of supplements. I know people are skeptical on supplements, but there, there are a number of supplements that affect our longevity genes as well. There's um, resveratrol, there's curcumin, fish oils can do it and then there's something called nicotinamide riboside nr or nicotinamide mononucleoside which actually are precursors to nad which is the molecule that gives you energy so we know a lot of these levels decrease as we get older so replacing them with the supplements actually really help you know i'm a big believer in supplements i take a shitload myself but um <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, because they do affect these longevity genes in a positive way. So 
It's not that you're born with genes and there's nothing you can do. I have terrible genes when I did my gene testing. My genes are terrible. I have heart disease genes. I have Alzheimer's disease. I have diabetes. I have terrible genes. Now, whether, you know, I'm 67, whether they express themselves as heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes is really determined by how I live my life. So I think that's important. Um, so it's good to know your genes, but not to get scared of them, scared of them because the genes that I'm talking about are all manipulate can all be manipulated in, in a positive and negative way. Or, Obviously or by lifestyle and then your ultimate power shake in the morning. Yeah, well, I don't do anything in the morning anymore. I used to, but now I fast. But now I do my power shake at 11 or 12 o'clock when I do, if I do do a shake. I do it at noon instead of at eight. I used to do it, but now I skip breakfast because I want to, you know, trigger that autophagy process that we talked about. So, yes, I think there's a genetic component, um, uh, but most genes, 98% of the genes can be uh, manipulated or expressed in a positive way, and that's determined by how you live your life. There's a big one around at the moment. Obviously, collagen um, is a bit of a fad here, I believe, and I, and I use that word without really knowing yeah. too much about it. Having collagen as a supplement, is that going to do anything for our skin and our bodies or are we just better off having a steak every now and then? Um, well, you can have a steak every now and then, but I, I actually put collagen into my shake. And collagen is very interesting because it's got the profile of animal protein, yet it doesn't have the negative. You know, as we get older... Too much animal protein can affect one of these gene regulators in a negative way. It's called mTOR, which affects our longevity genes. So you don't want to stimulate this gene regulator, mTOR, mechanistic target of rapamycin. Animal protein does that. So when you get older, you probably should decrease your animal protein unless you're losing muscle mass. Um, and what's interesting about collagen because of its amino acid profile, it does not stimulate this mTOR. So it's actually probably the best animal protein to use. So I use it. I don't particularly use it for skin and hair, although I think it possibly helps it. I actually use it as a sort of a protein source because I think, you know, I don't want to lose muscle mass. I use it as a protein source and it's an, in a way an animal protein, but it doesn't have that amino acid profile that has that negative effect on this gene regulator. So, yes, so the collagen question fits into your longevity genes and your gene regulators, which affect those, you know, those genes. And so our bodies know how to put these things all back together again. Obviously, if it's not coming from a, a food source or a green leaf, once that gets into our body as a powder or a pill, our body knows exactly what to do with that well, and are, where it needs to go? Yeah, these are good questions. I mean, ultimately, you'd like to think that we could get everything from food, and I still would like to think that. I just think in this day and age, because the nutrient density and value of the foods is decreased and at the same time we have so many more stresses which increases our needs for nutrients i just think it's very hard to get all the nutrients you need from your diet and as you age a lot of these nutrients decrease as well so you know my attitude is well you know it's an insurance policy i'm going to you know take these supplements as an insurance policy i'm not saying everyone needs to take supplements I, you know i just I probably cuz i'm you know, preaching this stuff, I have to, you know, sort of uh, 
walk my <coughs> walk my talk and and look well and, and feel well, etc. etc. I, I do take a lot of supplements. I'm not saying everyone should take as many supplements that I take, but I think there are some basic ones that most people should take, especially as they get older. And I think collagen powder is an easy way to sort of add to one's diet. So I, I am a good, uh, I'm a, I, I do like collagen powder if it's a good source of collagen powder. So um, that's it. So get into your supplements as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a tricky, I mean, I don't push the supplements per se. I just, you know, if people are interested, I, you know, I recommend them. I, as I said, I do take them but it's a harder one. I mean, these other things are free, you know, whether you're fasting or um, cutting down on sugar. Most of the things that I recommend are cheap and free. Supplements become expensive, so it's a whole nother problem and a whole nother layer. So I, I tend not to recommend as many as, for instance, I take, but I'm, I'm not against them at all. Is there one key that you would give us today? I know we've spoken about a lot of aspects, but is there one, not the magic pill, the silver bullet, whatever it might be, one tip uh, for our listeners that you would recommend for us to start right now today? Yeah, I, I always talk about kindness because I think when I talk about kindness, I think it has to do with kindness to others kindness to yourself and kindness to the earth in general you know i think um, climate change is a huge huge issue and we can't divorce ourselves from what's happening in in the world and i think it's going to make it much harder now because we're ignoring how we're affecting the earth and, and the climate so i think when i talk about kindness it covers a lot of aspects because it's not only kindness to others but it's kindness to the earth and, and most important being kind to yourself being hard on yourself doesn't help anything so um you know i think that's important and you know you, you have to be able you know the australians are good at this you have to be able to laugh at yourself you can't take yourself too seriously you got to you know have a sense of humor about aging too because as you get older things change it's normal um and if you can laugh about it at the same time as you're making changes, it does help. Well, thank you very much. We've got a lot to think about, a lot to digest there, for want of a better, <laughs> want of a better word. Uh, you have empowered us. And as I said, Dr. Lippman, it is an absolute privilege to be talking to you today. Thank you very much for all your advice. We really appreciate you coming on board the Ageing Project podcast. Thanks, and thanks for having me. Today's episode with the remarkable Dr. Lippman is almost the cheats version or the Crips notes of Ageing Well. If you missed earlier episodes in season one, this one will definitely bring you up to speed. Perhaps it's the episode you'd like to forward and share with your loved ones. For me, it was a great summary and a reminder of the topics we have covered. We did cover a lot of ground today. We chatted fasting, strength training, high intensity training, meditation, kindness, longevity genes, supplements, community, sleep, purpose. Oh, what have I missed? This man knows his stuff. I also learned a few new terms, uh, longevity genes, autophagy, hormesis. This conversation reinforced that to age well, we need advice, we need support. It takes a village of wonderful people like Dr. Lippman and those we chatted to earlier. We all want the latest and best information on aging well, and I am pleased to say we're here to offer that advice and walk that journey with you. Thank you as always for the support, until next week, I'm your host, Shelley Craft, and this is the Aging Project Podcast.
The Aging Project is brought to you by Poly Studio. They're our go-to team for all things podcasting.